Hey, you guys. Welcome back. This is Tom from Progressive Mind Center Podcast. Always a pleasure having you guys listen to us. Just a couple of clinicians getting together and shooting the bobo, talking about uh, things that we're experiencing and helping each other out. That's uh, one of the best things about uh, us getting together. So uh, we had a session on compassion fatigue uh, earlier with Pablo, and hopefully you enjoyed that. Now, tonight I have a good friend and colleague, Helen. She's back again. And you may remember her from a previous podcast, her and uh, uh, Marcy. And tonight we're also going to be talking about compassion fatigue. And then wherever it goes, we're just going to kind of be together uh, here tonight and just discussing uh, our lives, life in the times of therapists. <laughs> so glad to have you again, Helen. Yes, glad to be here. So um, tell me a little bit about your uh, definition of compassion fatigue. Well, as we were talking earlier, Tom, it, there's a difference between burnout and compassion fatigue, and our focus really for us in the helping in the helping professions is to recognize when we are picking up secondary trauma mm-hmm. from from our clients, and thereby not allowing ourselves to be conscious enough. You know, we're f- experiencing our own trauma. And so compassion fatigue is when you just don't have any more to give. Yeah, you feel just absolutely drained. And it seems like it's burnout, but it's very, very different. So burnout is, of course, when you have been burning the candle at both ends. You're working long hours. You uh, are not engaging in the proper amount of self-care or time away. And you just feel that drained, sluggish. I don't really want to, I just need time off. I need a vacation. And that's ultimately what burnout is. And then there's some complacency that comes with that. And it looks very similar to compassion fatigue, but compassion fatigue clearly is uh, you suffering from uh, secondary or vicarious trauma from your patients who have experienced trauma. And you're taking on their energies. You're, you're, because we're empathetic, because we're compassionate, we uh, absorb what they're going through. I mean, we have to kind of do that anyway to be able to see what it's like walking around in their shoes. But too much of that leads to this thing called compassion fatigue. And then we become burnt out, possibly. We can become complacent. Um, But we can also feel like I'm not helping. I'm really not having an impact on this person's life or these people that I'm helping. And you feel like, you were talking about imposter syndrome. I've experienced that too. Am I really, uh, <laughs> do, do I really know enough to, to help? Am I really helping? And you start to second guess all the knowledge and all the energy you put into your uh, field of study. And then you almost want to do something completely different. That has happened to me. Yeah. There's a time in my career that I took time off because I felt such burnout. Mm-hmm. And now what I do is try to every day have self-care kinds of things going on so that I don't burn out or have compassion fatigue because my indicator of that is when I'm not empathetic. You know, if somebody's having if suffering and I'm not experiencing that level of empathy that is so necessary, that's my first indicator. So you start not caring. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, you're just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. You know, because this is a field of love. And and so experiencing love and empathy and just holding the space for all that we do is really essential 
that's like the, the foundation. Right. You're holding the space uh, or the container for them to heal. And if you're not holding the container, if you're not being empathetic, if you're not uh, giving love to the, uh, uh, the whole ritual of therapy, then um, it's, it does kind of become pointless, or at least it feels that way. Mm -hmm. The other thing I noticed in my, with my career and having shown up in a variety of places, some of them frontline, like in treatment centers, is that if I am not in a place where I feel like I can do my best, then that's a dilemma. And so that's why I'm a sole proprietor, because I can do my best. No one limits my interaction with my client or tells me I have to do something different. I do a lot of supervision as well with my other clinicians, with you as well, Tom. And that helps me stay on the any type that I, anytime I have a, you know, a concern, I can voice it in terms of, you know, and keep that confidential about the client. But it's really necessary to know enough in that moment to hold the space again, to be the container. Mm -hmm. It is a challenge when we collaborate with other therapists, even though that's very important that we do that. Uh, however, my lenses, so to speak, are very different than your lenses. And when they don't match up, yeah. uh, that can no. become problematic. Yeah. You've uh, noticed that with collaborating with other uh, clinicians. I, I have, I do. I, I think that um, it's important to have a core group of people that you trust in the field. And people that um, see things similarly. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I can never quite say that right. You, no, know? you got it, though. <laughs> yeah. Similar value systems, similar trainings, um, and even similar beliefs about how to help people heal themselves. Mm -hmm. I like having uh, a big toolbox. You know, I like having a couple different uh, interventions at my disposal. And I think a lot of us are eclectic in that regard. Um, not to say that specializing in one intervention isn't, uh, helpful uh, or can be good for that, that right client. But I like having the ability to say, you know what, I don't think that CBT is necessarily going to be the best fit for this adolescent. Mm -hmm. They might need something, uh, that's a little bit more, um, uh, suggestive like uh, hypnosis and maybe that, uh, that type of intervention might be better suited for them. Um, and so I like having that toolbox. And I've seen other clinicians uh, that specialize, and I think that that's good. I admire that. And uh, there's definitely a place for that. And I would refer to that person uh, when needed. But, you know, if you have a hammer, you're always going to see a nail. And if you have a screwdriver, you're always going to see a screw, you know. So um, <clears throat> have you experienced that in your career? I have. And I think I agree 100%, Tom. You have to have people that have similar toolboxes or can suggest one that's necessary or needed. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah. And I think that it's really, it's a wonderful thing to be able to discuss those things, especially when, when things happen like a client ends therapy without, you know, without closure, without termination. Um, when they're, when they're, Variables that are just so wide with a person's life. I mean, it really helps. It takes a village, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you brought in one of those um, a pro call uh, questionnaires, and I think that that <clears throat> could be helpful to uh, to talk about. And this is really geared towards uh, other clinicians. 
Um, and it's a, a life scale, like a quality of life for the professional. And uh, you can look it up. I don't know exactly where you had gotten uh, this one, Helen. I don't know either. Um, but it's called the Professional oh. Quality of Life Scale, uh, ProQual, P-R-O-Q-O-L. Dot org is the website. Oh, hot dog. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you can look that up. And it's a questionnaire that you fill out and you score. And then, of course, there's a scoring system on the back. And it can kind of show you um, if you're, one, compassionate, but also if you're falling uh, more towards burnout or if you're experiencing compassion fatigue. And I think that that could be a helpful tool for clinicians to uh, to look at, uh, to be aware of, because um, dealing with burnout is different than dealing with compassion fatigue. Compassion, compassion fatigue is definitely... Uh, um, much more uh, rich entity to kind of tackle. Uh, burnout, I mean, you need to take time off from doing your job. You need to not work as many hours and you need to take a vacation. You need to engage in self-care practices. But with compassion fatigue, um, it's really important that not only do you do all those things uh, like combating, uh, uh, combating burnout, but that you also talk with another therapist that you um, with a uh, clinician that you trust, that you can sit down with, and you can um, express what you're feeling and what you're going through, because a lot of the times they experience that as well. Talk with uh, your colleagues and friends in the field, and this is uh, how you combat compassion fatigue. Uh, we all do experience it at some point, especially dealing with the populations that we serve uh, in mental illness, and so uh, that is the key. So if you're experiencing burnout, Take time uh, to yourself, engage in self-care, take time away from work. It's important. And if you're experiencing compassion fatigue, do those things. Plus, find a clinician that you trust that you can sit down with and talk about what you're experiencing. Talk about the clients that you're uh, serving. Of course, keep their information confidential, but uh, talk about um, how you've uh, taken on their energies and and your empathy is becoming depleted and your compassion is becoming depleted. So any thoughts on that, uh, Ellen? Well, first and foremost, I want to uh, thank you for being that person for me. You're who I come to to talk about things that I'm um, confused about or you know, I just need some feedback on. And, it, and it, what it builds is the opportunity to commit to taking some time for you and for me. Um, and the other thing that I think is I recognize more and more that the, the self-care tools that we need, you know, we have to think about. And so I was thinking about yesterday, essential oils help, you know, essential oils, how we eat, how we sleep, how we walk, how we talk. I mean, it really is because we're with people all day long. What I notice is that I need some time once I'm, my day is done to sort of come back to myself. <laughs> decompress a little bit. Decompress, absolutely. Um, and I think that it, the, because we are, we essentially share through words and through energy, sharing through words is really important because it, it allows us to redirect, you know, whatever is necessary in, ter in terms of our own uh, clinical decision. Mm -hmm. And it just it, it broadens the world so that it doesn't task so much. I think that's uh, well said about you decompressing at the end of the day. And then I think 
I'll just camp onto that and say that throughout the day, you might need to schedule breaks here and there to allow yourself to kind of vent or decompress or process through. Uh, we're taking on a lot. There's a lot of stuff coming at us. Um, we're working with clients and we enjoy that. I mean, that's why we're here. Um, but it can take its toll. And so we need time. Um, that, and I'm guilty of not doing this. And so this is a reminder for me as, as much as it is any other clinician, uh, to take breaks, to have food, to go to yes, the bathroom. To actually have a lunch. <laughs> right. What a concept, right? Yeah. Uh, and to process what we're dealing with, you know, did I, did I make the right decision? Did I make the right call when I offered the suggestion to that particular, uh, client? And it might be helpful to talk with another clinician and see what their, um, perspective is, see where they would want to go, what they would want to know. I've always found it fascinating, uh, collaborating with other therapists. Uh, this is to advocate for, for doing just that and to see, like, if you do, a um, a group where you're a joint uh, therapist or whatever, you know, you're co-leading a group and to see where the other therapist kind of goes to see what they clue in on, because a lot of times it's different than where I'm going, where I'm thinking. Yeah, I agree. One of the great things we have in our county and that both you and I are a big part of is our coalition, the nonprofit coalition that assists therapists and assists in the community by, by pairing resources would need. And I have found that to be so enriching because, you know, at any given time, it's virtual, of course, with today's world, but given any time, there might be a dozen or 15 therapists on a call. And when we learn from all of them, then we get to hear what they do. And so our community is connected by communication and by you know, identifying some of what the need is. And in fact, our, the executive director of this um, coalition has made possible for CARES dollars to help us help others, which is extraordinary. I think that he's built a template. We need to share that so other counties and communities can benefit from something like that. Mm -hmm. Right, absolutely. Yeah, the uh, Mental Health Collaborative have, has been huge for having therapists get together to sharing resources and identifying what resources there are in the community. And I'm grateful that we have the uh, not only the collaborative, but the connection center that drives uh, people to where they need to go. They assess the need and then they say, this is the place to go that would help fulfill that uh, need. And I think that is wonderful. And I like being able to connect with uh, therapists from private practice or agencies and uh, get their take on things, wh what they're seeing, you know, because sometimes it's the same and sometimes it's totally different. And I don't, I didn't realize that that was going on out in the community, you know, whatever that thing was. But And when you talk about the, collabor the collaborative, that has been such an adjunct, I think, to my practice, because when I have a client that comes in and I don't know how to help them and I don't know what the resources are, especially given the you know, specific circumstance, the Mental Health Collaborative will help them. Mm -hmm. and get them to the resource they need, whether it be, you know, uh, food stamps or, you know, a psychiatrist or housing. I mean, they just do everything and anything. And I find that extraordinary. Uh, well, Helen, let's uh, dive back into uh, compassion fatigue and burnout. Um, and I want to kind of get your uh, your thoughts and feelings on uh, things that you have done and maybe some suggestions that other clinicians could do 
uh, if they're experiencing compassion fatigue or burnout? One of the things that started to happen before the pandemic really took on it's you know it's it's a capacity for everything uh, was that uh, um, women came together and did like sort of a um, a treatment discussion you know about about their types of clients and what what their concerns were that was one way that was really helpful what i found with you is that i made the decision and the time to do that i think that's one of the biggest things the other thing is I'm journaling. You know, I journal a lot and it helps me identify where I might have gotten stuck or what I need to do or, or you know, redirect. Um, I take notes every day on like, what do I need to do next. And, and, but I think that the key is self-care. You know, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I think I talked about that last time, but it's, we have to take care of our physical needs. We have to stay within our balance, you know, within normal limits of what it means for us to feel grounded. You know, we have to communicate and we have to have people outside of our clients that we connect to and we have to have enough sleep. And sometimes that's hard to do. I know, I know believe me. And we feel like we can take on so much. We feel like as therapists, you know, well, I can, I can sacrifice you know, not having lunch because I I want to be able to see uh, this certain client. We end up sacrificing. Oh, I've booked out that time because I need a break, and then somebody really urgently needs to come in and see us, and we're like, well, yeah, yeah, you know what? Why, why don't you come in at at twelve, and then I'll see you. And then you realize <laughs> you have uh, seven people back to back, and you're like, oh, oh boy, mm-hmm. um, and it becomes very taxing because we have to be present for the person because i mean for me that's how i feel i need to be i i need to be 100% present 100%. for the person in that moment when they come in it's it's your show i'm here for you i'm going to advocate for you i'm going to listen to you i'm going to offer suggestions i'm going to use these interventions that we've agreed upon and i i need to not be distracted with oh my god i have two more after this or i have five more after this or Oh, I, I need to do, I need to go to the supermarket <laughs> on my way home. I need to not be, I need to be in the present moment. So um, there's some techniques uh, that I can share. And I'm sure you have some techniques too to ground yourself and to be in the present moment. Um, luckily, for whatever reason, I have a switch that I can just flip. And when I see the person, when I lock eyes and maybe shake hands or do the fist bump or whatever, I'm in it, man. I'm in it. I'm I'm in their energy for the next hour or so, um, and I don't generally get distracted. But that's how I know if I'm suffering from either burnout or a little bit of compassion fatigue. If I start becoming distracted, I need to circle back. I need I need to ground myself uh, before I need to take time, even if it's just like five minutes before, and kind of do a mindfulness meditation to get myself uh, in the zone so that I can be there and be present for the client. Sometimes I have to remind myself during, you know, mm-hmm. if I, if there's a picture that's askew on the wall, <laughs> I start feeling like that OCD takeover. <laughs> where you, hold on. Let me, let me just adjust this picture. Real quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you have, uh, do you have some techniques that you use to, I to do. be it's there? A, it's interesting that you say that because I call it like, it's like, in the moment, I, ha- I remember everything. You know, when the client comes back, I don't have to even look at my notes because I remember what we talked about last session. And that is site-specific knowledge. I think it's, it's like when I see them in the grocery store or for 
for example, or anywhere, I don't remember their story, you know, because I, I keep it in that clinical place of what's here, what's now. And I think that absolutely, if I'm not present focused, I know it. And that's, that's my identifier. I also believe in breath. I mean, of course, we have to breathe, live. And, um, but my, what breath does, deep breathing does, is it helps us really ground ourselves with our breath in the moment. And, and I teach breathing techniques to people, especially if they have panic or anxiety, on how to come to here, you know, how to be here now. Because that's really, that's where, that's where we live. That's where the joy is. That's where peace is, is in this present moment. And there's no anxiety in the present moment. No. And this is what I try to reinforce and teach to uh, my clients and uh, even other clinicians is that there is not anxiety in the present moment. So the more that you can be in the present moment, whatever technique that you want to use, whatever resonates with you, do that. Because whenever we're worried about the future or thinking about the future, um, that's when the anxiety really kind of sets in. That's when we can allow that stress uh, to take over. I agree. I really do. I kind of have a, I call it a God shelf actually, where I have any kind of concerns. I just put it there so that it won't distract me. And so what that means is that in the present moment, if anything comes up or I'm triggered, put it on the God shelf. And for, for me, that's a spiritual thing, good orderly direction, or, you know, just the sense of higher self taking care of what's here and now. That's interesting. So you do that in your mind, like you I just do. put it up on the shelf. I do. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Especially because sometimes our the clients that we serve are often people that we have either special skills with or have a special connection with, and we can be triggered by that. We can mm -hmm. be triggered by their it's a, that's a, the vicarious trauma. You know, we can be hit in the belly with that stuff. And so, when I reckon when that happens, God shelf, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I can take it down and, and deal with it later. Because right. we are a vessel, you know, we're a channel, I think, for our it's sacred work we do. And so nothing gets in the way of that. And you're right about that being, you know, I think I'm so committed to 100% that there's nothing much left over if I'm not taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I have uh, in my mind a book uh, that I put stuff in that I need deal with later type of book <laughs> or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. If you want to use that technique. But it's I, I file it in there or I put it in there and then later on in the evening or maybe not until next week is when I can actually open that book and then deal with those things that I need to deal with. But in order to be present and be in the moment um, for yourself or for the client, I, I there's things that come up that you have to kind of compartmentalize. Yes, you're right about that. I'm still old school in that I have an appointment book. You know, I've, I'm... I resist uh, having a, a calendar on my computer. And what I do with that is I will make notes, like like a word, you know, a note for me to remember what's on the glass shelf because I can forget. So, I'm, you know, just a little bit of note, note taking for me helps me stay on top of myself, you know, stay on top of my cognition, my ability to remember what's up for me or what's needed for that client next week or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, um, Tell me about something that you're getting involved with now, because I'm always fascinated to hear from clinicians of uh, things that they're passionate about right now. Maybe it's a certain technique or intervention, or um, maybe it's a certain type of clientele that you're dealing more with or that you've experienced. 
Well, we've talked about this before, and more and more am I sharing this and doing this is my uh, passion for psychodrama, action techniques, action modality that helps people in the here and now deal with the there and then. You know, so it's an action method. And there's different um, techniques within psychodrama. But what I do with that is every month I go to a training group. And in that group are about, I think there are now 11 people in this particular group for this for the school year, they call it. And, um, and they are all superb, I mean, like extraordinarily gifted therapists. So whatever I put out there, I get feedback from nine or 10 other people and also get training at the same time. So that's something that has, has sustained me for several years. And sometimes I think, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this. And before when I travel, it was in Tampa, which is three hours away from where we live. And so now it's virtual, interestingly enough. And how do you do action therapy on virtually? <laughs> right. Right. Uh-huh. It seems like an oxymoron, but we can and we do. We can do anything we put our minds to. You know, we know that, Tom. We really do. Now, do you do that both as uh, individual or and in groups? Yes. Yeah, you can do individual. And so right now, I'm I'm always um, looking to f- to fill a group. You know, I mean, so you have to have the right people and the right and all that. All those details done, but you can do it absolutely individually. Have you had any truly rewarding experiences uh, that pop out in your mind that you'd like to share? With that, well, I can share from my own personal life in that it has helped me clear up the wreckage of the past. You know, a lot of times we are. Um, I had the the training ground in childhood to be who I am today, and there's a book called The Spiritual Advantages of a Painful Childhood. That really spoke to me, and this was 20 years ago. And it's true. You know, what we go through makes us better and stronger if we allow it. And so that, so psychodrama has impacted me that way. And so I'm still in training. I still, you know, I have so much to learn. It's one of those fields of study that is like therapy itself. It's it's 100 years old now, but it has lots of details. And not so widely known, interestingly enough. Jacob Moreno, who was the, the founder of psychodrama, wasn't a great, um, he didn't, he didn't network much, you know, he was just all about him. And so, you know, 50 years later, we're trying to capture all that and share it. So um, I think that we, I, I know that for me, I have to be my best self. And so whatever that takes, and that is one of the areas I, I value and that I give back. Um, the other ways are, you know, connecting to clinicians. The last week I went to a woman's networking luncheon, which was a hoot. I mean, it really was. Huh. All these different people. I was the only therapist there, interestingly enough. Well, there was a um, um, family doc there. But um, what an interesting way to let ourselves be known. You know, in whatever venue there is, we really do have so much to share. Was there any particular clients that had uh, a breakthrough that you were like, yes, this is this is the work for me. This is what I really enjoy doing. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it doesn't have to be just necessarily with psychodrama, but right. just in general. Well, I can, what comes to mind is a psychodramatic individual therapy session where a woman who was um, a chronic late stage alcoholic combated her disease, and she made the disease real. And what happens in psychodrama is that you reverse roles with your with whomever it is you're wanting to have a conversation with her healing. And in this, in this case, it was alcohol. And she, in one session, created a way for her to really get through her alcoholism. And she's sober today, two years. 
So that was extraordinary because, you know, in the moment that doesn't often happen. We see it in phases and, and you know, ways of um, baby steps, really. But, you know, I'm like you. I'm an advocate. I take on whatever I can for people. And right now I have a woman that's a, in a graduate program and it got all messed up because of COVID. So I'm, by golly, going to talk to her dean or whomever it is so that they can hear what she's trying to say, which is not being heard. And that is they want, you know, they want differently than what she wants. And what she wants is really doable. So things like that. I think that back, back 30 years ago, we had a lot, lot more treatment triage. You know, we'd, we'd all come together. And now we have to create it. And so I think that that's another thing that, you know, when I reach out to someone else that can help my client, that helps me help them that much better. Mm-hmm. Earlier when we started talking uh, uh, about what we we're going to talk about and then compassion fatigue, you had mentioned uh, imposter syndrome. And this is something that I experienced too from time to time. And um, I, I see it as sort of a, um, and you had related to this as well, a product of uh, compassion fatigue and maybe even burnout too. Um, but this feeling like, you know, and I'm, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't, I don't know enough. I'm not helping enough. Um, uh, and, and I have other, I have clients that have this too. And that I see in their jobs, they just don't feel like that, that they're good enough or that they're in the right place. Or how did I, how did I get here? I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing whatever it is that they're doing. And the first, you know, the first step to recovery is identifying the issue. Right, and so when I when I'm like that, when I'm feeling that way, I recognize that what's coming up is old stuff for me. You know, the not feeling good enough and really childhood stuff, and um, that can heal. You know, we just affirm it in the moment. What comes up, we don't have to, you know, repress or deny or project onto somebody else. When we get it, we get it, and share mm-hmm. it, and release it. And if you can't release it, then you just put it up on the God Show. I put it on the God Show. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or compartmentalize, like you said, compartmentalize. It. Yeah, and like, that's that term has some negative connotations uh, for I, me. But does it? Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes we really. I mean, I think life is about kind of maybe fluidly compartmentalizing. You know, mm-hmm. because there's so much on our plate at any given moment, and I think not more than other people. You know, I think that the whole world is upside down right now in the pandemic. <laughs> Right. And it's not a, it's not necessarily a bad term. I just, because I'm so, uh, open and empathetic and compassionate, uh, where, um, there needs to be strong boundaries and there needs to be a compartmentalization that occurs. And so because of the type of person I am, I don't necessarily have the best or clearest boundaries. Uh, usually I'm, uh, kind of open where I end up disclosing more than I probably should, or that would be therapeutic and, uh, probably take on more than I should and where I should just say no. Um, (laughs) that's where, that's where, that's why I have some negative connotations with compartmentalization. Well, you know what they say about should, right? Should all over yourself. You should all over. (laughs) I see it like a bird, a bird dropping all over our head. Right. Yeah. So when you, so (laughs) that's kind of an indicator when we should ourselves. You know, that really and truly, you are one of the best therapists I know, and that is because of who you are. It is because of your your warmth and capacity for for care. And I think that if you know, I'd rather have um, fluid boundaries than rigid ones Mm -hmm. to help others help themselves. Yes. Yes, exactly. 
Um, a few more minutes. Was there anything else that you really wanted to share that you wanted to talk about? It's your show. It's your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is so rewarding and so meaningful. Um, I would like to share that. And I think that it's exciting to put it out to the world. You know, the world has, there have been some benefits from the pandemic, interestingly enough. And it wouldn't be that I'd think about that. But this is one of the, the side benefits of, you know, I was saying to you earlier that when the pandemic hit, most people are just paralyzed. But not you. You got up and you did all kinds of cool stuff and, and allowed for today to happen because of your, you know, your fourth, your forward thinking. I wanted to make the best of it. <clears throat> and I took some time to think, well, you know what, if this is going to be the case and we're not sure how long this pandemic was going to go, I, um, and I get, it's still going. I just, I thought, how could I, and this is where it was spawned doing this podcast and uh, later coming out with an app for hypnosis and then, um, and then doing the virtual, it was like, how can I still be impactful? How can I still reach the clients I serve? And then I was worried about um, finances. I mean, people, a lot of people were, found themselves out of work or not able to work and they needed to make sure that they had money for food and for, you know, dare I say toilet paper and <laughs> <laughs> things of that sort. And so I wanted uh, to still be helpful and still connect. Uh, and a podcast is what I found would, would be the way to do that, to be able to give information and connect with uh, not only other uh, therapists and clinicians, but also uh, uh, clients, the, the people that I serve and the rest of the community. Uh, a free resource that they could go on and just listen to, you know, therapists talking to other therapists and they could listen to hypnosis stuff and still get some help without having to worry about uh, payments or insurance or anything like that. And so that's where it was birthed and it's really taken off from there. And I mean, I just found, I find it astonishing that uh, people are enjoying this and give me positive feedback and even uh, in other countries. <laughs> just find that, that uh, so remarkable. Cool. Yeah, that is really, really cool. So thank you for, for listening. And of course, please leave uh, reviews. And if there's a, a topic that you'd like to uh, hear about on the show, please uh, drop that too. You can do it in the reviews. Uh, any final thoughts that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Just glad to be here, Tom, and I'd like to come back. Um, you're <laughs> more than welcome uh, to come back. We'll be doing this on a much more regular basis. So Please stay tuned and uh, leave a review and leave some uh, uh, topics that you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again, you guys out there. Take care. See thank, you again. Thank you all and thank you, Tom. <laughs>